0: coming from where you've come from of the struggles and the lack. You're like, I can't make those mistakes again, even though they might not have been mistakes.
1: Hi, I'm Gracie Mercedes and welcome back to Not Blank Enough, a podcast about everyday insecurities and triumphs. Today I'm chatting with actor, DJ and fashion lover, Tony Okumboa. We spoke about his upbringing in Nigeria and London, how he landed his DJ gig on Ellen, And the dark times that led him to his current gig as a series regular on the hit TV show, Bob Hart's Abishola. All this and more in this episode we titled, Not Disciplined Enough. Well, hello, Tony, and welcome to Not Blank Enough. I'm so excited to talk to you.
0: Thanks, Gracie, for having me.
1: Thanks for being here. And now that we are doing season two uh, with video for YouTube, <laughs> we can see that you are in a green room according to your, <laughs> to your Zoom name. And that's because you are on set because you are yes. currently a series regular on Bob Hart's Abashola on CBS. How's that yes, going? Yes, yes, yes. And congratulations! Very, very, That's thank you,
0: thank you so much, thank you so much. But um, yeah, there's a lot more to the green room thing though. But I'm sure you'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so let's start from the beginning. I mean, usually I just I just have people literally go from like upbringing and like where you're from, what that was like growing up, where you grew up, and and, okay. and then we'll and then we'll you know we'll have our little chat.
0: So my parents are Nigerian. I was born in England, um, educated in England, Nigeria, and New York. Um, So basically, I was born in England, went to school there, went back to Nigeria for a while with my parents because, you know, they did that whole immigrant thing. They went to England for a better education. Then when they got fed up of England, I guess, they moved back to Nigeria with the kids. Mm. We went to school there. And then when we got old enough to go to, like, university and stuff, we ended up moving to Uh, England, back to England, but without my parents. Were you in London? Yes, in London. I was Mm -hmm. in London. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I ended up going to um, New York to go to drama school. And Mm I uh, moved to L.A. and the rest is history.
1: (laughs) Tell me what your upbringing in London and Nigeria were like. So how how old were you when you left London?
0: When I left London, I was super young, like I think primary school. I don't know what the equivalent of that is in America
1: elementary school yeah
0: elementary there you go and then um by the time I moved back to Nigeria to England I went to we do what's called A-levels which is like Mm. just before you go to university
1: so like our high school
0: yeah just before you step go to university so that was the that was the window um growing up in it in Nigeria was fun yeah it was really a lot of fun um I was talking to someone about this today. We were naughty, incredibly <laughs> naughty. <laughs> but then again, who isn't naughty at any, any, any at that age anywhere right. in the world? We were able to have incredible amounts of fun, a lot of concerts, a lot of parties. Hmm. We were really into fashion, like majorly into fashion. Oh, really? We used to read magazines like Right On. I don't know if you remember that magazine. I don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we used to read magazines like Right On and... Top of the Pops from England was a biggie for us. It was right Um, on an
1: American magazine or a British? It was an American magazine. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was an American magazine. I don't know. I wasn't really into magazines when I was younger, though, I don't think so.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. We got all, we got, I mean, especially living in Nigeria, we got all our, you know, pop culture from america and and england so magazines like right on and we watched a lot of american shows like you know good times yeah you know and a lot of english shows as well so and fame was a big one for us dynasty oh, yes you know yes. all that type of stuff so that was Baby growing up in that was growing up in nigeria then back in england i was in i became sort of more independent and fashion played a big part music music was massive um but unlike in America where music tends to be more compartmentalized like it's either R&B, hip hop or like you know rock in, right. in England it was across the gamut so a radio station would play all those things back, oh, to, back to back Oh interesting.
1: Oh that's yeah. fun.
0: Yeah. Is so, it because uh, they
1: had less stations or or were all stations doing that?
0: No, it was just an aesthetic. Yeah. You know, I mean as time has progressed there's been more like, I guess, specialized radio stations. But Mm -hmm. in general, I would hear a Bon Jovi track next to a Curiosity Kill the Cat track next to a Marvin Gaye track Mm. next to a Public Enemy track all on one radio station. Yeah.
1: So I'm assuming that's where your love of music came from and why you ended up being a DJ?
0: That's a funny one because I was a a lazy musician. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... I I was supposed to learn my skills to play bass, which was my instrument of choice. And I was just too impatient. So (laughs) So you're like,
1: I'll just play records instead.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Stepping back a little bit, though. So you're young in Nigeria, and I'm assuming you're surrounded by people who are also Nigerian. They look like you.
0: Absolutely. They're,
1: they're, you know, your people, basically. And then you go to London. Yes. And now you're in a big city. But I'm Mm -hmm. assuming there's... Well, there is a a substantial community in uh, London though, right? Of Nigerians or no, am I making that up? Yeah,
0: there's like Afro-Caribbean people. So people from the islands, mm-hmm. as well as people from Africa, mostly sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of West Africans and you know, now it's now it's more sort of a broader sort of selection of people. But back then it was mostly Afro-Caribbean and the predominant culture being the Caribbean and the Jamaican culture at the oh, time,
1: right. uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. And what was that like going to London and, and being kind of in this new city? I mean, you were born there, but you weren't really raised there until this time. And how old were you when you went back?
0: I was probably 16, oh, something wow. like that, 17, yeah. yeah. Um, it was it was cool. Initially, it was obviously shaky ground and mm-hmm. any city, even today, you've got to know where the goes and the no-goes no- are and everything like that. Yeah. Seeing skinheads and racists was like a big, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, but in general. I didn't even think yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you didn't see them in Nigeria, you know. Right. So... You know, and when I and when I was in Nigeria, when I was in England before, I was too young to notice. Right. So I come back to this and I had heard about them or read about them or seen them on TV shows or whatever. And then (laughs) I I joke about this, but I remember seeing punks with the spiky hair and everything when I came back. I mean, I had seen Boy George and, you know, people like that. And I, I was used to kind of, you know, more avant-garde dressing but to see punks on the street you were like oh my god right you know so yeah i mean (laughs) that has to be
1: such i mean i don't know i also i guess i've never spoken to someone who's from nigeria or africa anywhere in africa what are the differences from where you grew up as far as was it more suburban rural were you near a city in in nigeria like what part of nigeria versus now plopping into london at 16 which is a major city
0: oh i was in the same type of setting because nigeria was and continually is very progressive. So, you know, the, my neighbors would go to England for holidays. Everybody would go to England for holidays. Right. And, you know, it was a pretty middle to upper middle class affluent neighborhood. And I went to a private school with people like that. You know, we weren't in in shock or in awe of England. Right. Um, or any Western country come to think of it. That was when Nigeria was, you know, still fun. A lot of things have changed. A whole nother story. Yeah. But it was... Um, It wasn't a culture shock per se, but we were also brought up with the mentality that we are captains of industry, lawyers, doctors, engineers, you know, presidents. Yeah. And so the way we carried ourselves in England was we held our heads high.
1: I love that. I love that. And so now you get to high high school or the equivalent of high school, I guess, in England, in London. Yeah. And what kind of kids are you becoming friends with? Like who you oh need, all yeah. kinds,
0: because it was the public school system in England was very good and multicultural. And so it was all kinds of people. but yeah. the, it wasn't so much. It wasn't so much the ethnicity as opposed to the cliques that people belong to. So whether they're like the Goths and the punks <laughs> and the fashionistas and the soul boys. So you just fit into each other one. And it wasn't like, you can't come over here and talk to us. No, everyone right. was like one of my best friends with a punk called Sam. And uh, she used to have the side of her head shaved and everything. And she was such a darling. I don't even know where she is today.
1: I love so, that. Yeah. I love that. That's so interesting. And, and so I feel like opposites of people who grew up in the States around the same time, because I think we're around the same age, um, where things are so clicky in that same way but in a more like americanized way it's like the jocks yeah. are here and the cheerleaders are here and the cool girls are here whatever but then there's also such race you know deep racism and then and then so like the black kids hang out here and the white yes. kids hang out here and a lot so to hear that in london where you were at least
0: it was a little a little more I think it was across the board in most major cities and and it is reflective of the music mm. so for instance if you see Um, A lot of ska music is influenced by Jamaican music and Mm -hmm. influenced by punk music. And like that's why bands like Big Audio Dynamite. And, you know, then you have people like The Clash and then Paul Weller, who went on to do Style Cancel. All these were just an amalgamation of cultures. So it was always very, very giving and... Together, so to speak, and it wasn't drawn a wrong. I mean, racism did exist, but right, of course. in you know, there was pockets where you could just be yourself.
1: That's cool. Getting to the theme of the show, not yes. blank enough. Um, <laughs> in your younger days, was what was there a blank for you, and if so, what was that blank?
0: It depends on where I was and what I was into. Mm. I think and in my younger days, I always wanted to be so so okay so not blank enough in that context. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be an individual, mm. and to the degree that if someone was wearing something, you didn't want to wear it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's... by the look of your you right now, I mean you're such a fashion. What do you call male fashionista? Is it still fashionista? (laughs) I think
0: think they call them dandies or something, but I don't even know. Yeah, that's a whole nother. No, there's a whole there's a whole movement called the dandy movement, dandyism. Okay. And yeah, well, it's like really specific. They wear their cuffs at a certain height. Oh, got it. There's there's a lot of dandies in Africa. Well, you always look
1: sharp. Is my point. Thank Um, you. As you coming from you with your knowledge
0: of fashion. Oh, please, thank thank you.
1: Thank you. So, yeah, so I, I get this, what you're saying. So, you wanted to be unique. You wanted to be one of yes. the kind. You didn't want to wear what other people were wearing. No, no. Right. And, and so how yeah. did you feel? Yeah. Did How did you feel? Did you feel like you were meeting that, or, or did you feel like you were falling behind?
0: I, I mean, it was a constant catch Battle. up thing, wasn't it? Mm. Because somebody else would always come out with something else. And, and it stemmed from my parents, or my mother in particular, always telling us that we're special. Mm. And I so we wanted that. it to, me in particular, I can't speak about my siblings, but I wanted it to be manifest in when people see me, they kind of know I'm special. And also, obviously a level of insecurity was in there as well because, you know, I was young. But, um, you know, it's the type of thing whereby I remember in England, we would get steel capped Dr. Martin boots, get rid of the laces, use big kilt pins, to hold oh. it together oh, and wow, cut yeah. patterns in the toes, just to wow. be different. It was always about originality and difference and everything.
1: And I've never heard anyone call them Dr. Martens before. I've always what just they heard they call them, Doc Martins.
0: Okay, yeah, okay, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that a Tony
1: thing or is that a British thing?
0: I don't know. I mean, I think it, people in England probably call them Doc Martens or okay, Docs. They yeah. call them Docs.
1: Docs, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but I like yeah. that you call them Dr. Martens. Um, <laughs> Okay, so maybe not feeling special enough or striving to feel special.
0: Yes, to mm-hmm. be different. Yes. To be different. Yeah, to be Absolutely. unique.
1: Absolutely. And so then you said you were in London, then you went to New York for, for drama. I went school? to New York.
0: Yes. Went to Lee Strasberg, and then uh, NYU had a program with Lee Strasberg at the time, as well as the Meisner Studio.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how was that? What was that experience like?
0: That was great. That was the. The sort of hotbed of hip hop at the time. Like mm. I was living in Brooklyn in Fort Greene, and down the road was Biggie.
1: What in year was this?
0: this was in nineties, 90s, 90s, the nineties, 90s, yeah. early mid nineties, something like that. Mm-hmm. And Vibe magazine was the big magazine at the time, which yep. was started by Quincy Jones. You know, mm-hmm. remember that? And mm-hmm. all my friends like worked at the magazine. They had just graduated from college and. Unbeknownst to me, there was such a thing as HBCUs mm-hmm. at the time. I didn't know, yeah. so they come. A lot of them had come from Howard and Spelman and 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 schools like that. And so I was thrust into this sort of area in Brooklyn with Spike Lee and I think Chris Rock lived there. It was yeah. this really cool time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's when
1: New York was cool. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, exactly. So you I know mean, exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I
1: was born and raised there. I didn't move to okay. LA until my late 20s. And, you know, it was for a reason. I I, I kind of was like, I was born here. I was raised here. I went to NYU. I, I was like, I went right, to college so here. I'm like, I'm ready to go. Um, but also, <laughs> New York just didn't, there's no grit to it anymore. Like it used to be like it's, this like, ah, uh, this like gritty kind of yes. edgy place. And now it's a little too... Clean, Disneyfied, gentrified. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think when they
0: did 42nd Street and yeah. got rid of all that area, because that, I used to work up there. I used to work in a restaurant called B. Smith's. I used to be a waiter. Yeah. And we would walk past junkies and pimps and uh-huh. and uh-huh. you know, and we'd go to work and everybody was cool. You know, nobody bothered anybody. And right. same thing in Fort Greene. It was just so dope. And we would play football in the park, like soccer. And then it just started changing.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. When it? I was in high school, two of my best friends lived in the Lower East Side, and I wasn't allowed to, like, we weren't allowed to hang out in front of their houses because of all the drugs and the drug dealers. Yes. You yes. had to, like, go straight up to the house. If you're going to their yeah. house, you got to go right up to the apartment. And we would go to, like, Cat's Deli after school. Or we, oh you know, gosh. it was just a different time. And now uh, I go to Lower East Side, and I'm like, oh, my God, the gentrification like, is off it's the chain. ridiculous. It's yeah, of, so New York's yes. definitely a, a different place. I totally feel that. Did you always want to be an actor? Did you did you know you always wanted to be an actor?
0: No, 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 I didn't. I always, um, I thought I was going to be a professor because I was, apparently, I was a bright kid. <laughs> and, I, and I had this notion that professors know everything. Mm. I thought I was too good for my own, you know, too cool for school. Yeah, And I thought I was Mr. Know-it-all, so I thought I'd be a professor. But then I... My parents were like old school. So uh-huh. they were like, you got to study a profession. Mm-hmm. And so I was pre, well, not I wasn't pre-anything. I was studying to be a lawyer in my oh, A-levels. Wow. Wow. Uh-huh. And then when I got to university, I said, you know, I'm not comfortable doing this. I want to do what I want to do. And yeah. so.
1: How your mom take that and your dad? Ooh.
0: <laughs> it, it it was interesting. Listen, at the end of the day, they just wanted me to get a degree because right. they were like, listen, if all else fails, you can fall back on Mm-hmm. Teaching. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. So, you know.
1: And then when did you decide you wanted to be an actor? Because for someone who's so into music and knows so, like, you're so knowledgeable about music, I was surprised to know that you mo- knew you wanted to be an actor at such a young age.
0: Oh, God, yeah. um So I wanted to be an actor from when I did a school play when I was five. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was the lion who couldn't roar but sung.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: That's yes. really sweet. Can you sing? No. I oh, can okay. hold a note if I have to with a lot of practice. Got it. But, you know, I was a kid. It's like, who knows what, whether I was on key. Or,
1: right, right, right.
0: Uh, um, but that was when I first decided I wanted to be an actor. Okay. And then I obviously took detours due to societal pressures, parents, you know, all that type of stuff.
1: Yeah. At what age did you then move to Los Angeles?
0: Los Angeles? <laughs> So there's a, there's a story be- behind that. I can't remember what age it was. Mm-hmm. It was, I can't remember. I have to think about that one. Yeah, that's have But okay. it's, I've, been, I've been here for like 15 years now or something yeah. like that, maybe longer. Yeah, I
1: think we moved out here around the same time.
0: Yes, uh, a cause long time. Because I feel
1: like I, m- I met you like pretty soon after I got here.
0: Yeah. So I I had fallen into one of those holes, which I have fallen into since, which was I was waiting tables in New York and I got a job doing Raisin in the Sun at a theater in Virginia called Mill Mountain Theater. Mm. And I thought, okay, this is it. I'm gonna be a bona fide actor now, theater right. actor making a living. So I quit my job waiting tables, went off for six weeks to do this play, came back, and I couldn't get arrested. And so I fell into like You couldn't it. get
1: arrested?
0: It's an English term whereby oh. you 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 can't get you can't get a job. I'm sorry. Oh. I was like, "What do you mean you couldn't get arrested? Why would you want to get
1: arrested? I've never heard that before.
0: <laughs> You've never heard that before, where no. you where you can't get a break. You just couldn't get I've arrested. I've heard
1: you can't get a break, but I've never heard I couldn't get arrested.
0: Yeah, well, but now I, I know. I guess, okay, so that's a British you know. term. So you couldn't yeah. get a job. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't even get my weight job back.
1: Yeah, and Ugh. so.
0: Years ago, I had worked in fashion. I had worked for a company called Diesel years ago. Yeah, I remember Diesel. And so back then, Diesel was still coming up and everything. So I got a job with them as a visual merchandiser because I knew everybody there. Mm. And then one day they said, listen, we need somebody in L.A. We know you're an actor and you're going to want to move there soon.
1: Mm.
0: Why don't you go out to L.A.? And so they did. They sent me out to L.A. and they paid for me. And I was working with um, Diesel as their East Coast sales rep for menswear, and then after a while, um, I started going on auditions, and I started booking things, and it was just not tenable to do both. Right,
1: right, right, right.
0: And that was in 2000.
1: 2000, okay. So about, that's like over 20 years ago now. Yeah, 20 years Isn't that crazy that 2000 is... 21 remember, years ago that's I remember insane. it like it was yesterday <laughs> okay so that brings you to Los Angeles and so now you're yes. acting you're like going Big on auditions there. you're yeah. doing like you're doing the thing you're doing the acting hustle yeah it's yeah. funny because I did an interview earlier today with um this this group I'm a part of telling them my life story and we right. have such parallels where we like tried all these like we did all these things to get yes. to the thing we wanted to do kind of thing
0: absolutely yeah like yeah. I was
1: a I thought I wanted to be a reporter and then I was a producer and then I did some styling and then I moved out here and then I did the acting so I totally get it (laughs) I also think people in their like 30s and 40s have have lived many lives at this point
0: absolutely so that's
1: also wonderful how'd you get into like DJing and all that stuff
0: so DJing I started doing in England because I was lazy like I said and I learned how to DJ with uh, a couple of friends of mine who had Records one one in particular called Carl. Thanks, Carl. (laughs) And so I I booked a movie called The Gateway to Heaven, and we went and shot it in Germany. And it paid me a chunk of money. Paid me Mm -hmm. like maybe at the time maybe like twenty thousand dollars. That's good. And and my mom. My surrogate mom, who's now my real mom because my biological mother passed. But anyway, my mom had just sold a house in England and she gave all the kids, three of us, she gave us a bit of money each. Oh, wow. And I said, listen, mom, I'm just going to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And so I bought this house in Echo Park. I thought, okay, I got to pay a mortgage. I got to get a real job. Right. And so I started um, as a sales rep for Paul Smith Men's Footwear so i was okay. traveling around the world and i remember specifically i was in new york and i get a call and they were like ellen is doing a new talk show that she's looking for a dj oh wow and this was her, her friend a friend of mine who's who used to be her hairdresser oh. and he was like oh she's looking for a new dj and i said and, and so they said okay we'll set up a phone call with you uh-huh. so while i'm in new york <sighs> we set up a phone call i get on the phone with the producers and they i could tell they weren't feeling me uh oh <laughs> You know, it's a phone <laughs> right. call. I, okay. I didn't know anything about what it was going to be or anything. Yeah, But I could tell they weren't feeling me. I'm about to fly back to L.A. And I get a call from another friend of mine who is a really big photographer called Andrew McPherson. And he says, listen, we've got this phone call to do Britney Spears. Because what I would do is this. I would DJ on photo shoots.
1: Oh, oh cool. So they would have so a live... I, DJ for like big yes. photo shoots.
0: Yeah. So Jesus basically Christ. what I would do is I would research the talent, what type mm. of music they like, their favorite song. So it wasn't oh, wow. just a regular DJ set. It was yeah. a set that was tailored to them to keep their energy up. You know what it's like on yeah, a photo yeah, shoot. yeah, 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 Energy yeah. dips. You keep everybody dancing and moving. And so we get a call. I'm in New York. We get a call. They're like, we're shooting Britney Spears in New York. Stay there. Now, this was during the time of vinyl. So I was right. like, I can't stay. I've got to fly back to LA, get oh my, my God, records, and fly back.
1: Records. Oh so my God. So I fly back <laughs>
0: to LA, pick up my records, fly back to New York. We do the shoot. We fly back to LA. We land, and there's a call about Ellen's being shot by my friend
1: oh, yes, <laughs> I see where this is going. So now you and DJ so, for Ellen photo
0: shoot. So her photo shoot. And I have no attachment to it because I know I didn't get the job, so right, to speak. Right, So I'm DJing and she cracks a joke and she, say, she says, listen, I've hired a DJ already for the show, but can I get your number? I always have parties. And I was like, okay, cut to that f- Wednesday or something. I'm having dinner at Koi. Uh-huh. with the buyer from Barney's, who I'm uh-huh. selling footwear to. Okay. And I get a call, they're like, can you come in tomorrow? I'm like, for what? They're like, well, we wanna, we're want to. we doing test deals with DJs. So I call my manager, my manager says go, I go. They're negotiating, negotiating. I'm sitting outside the office waiting, waiting, waiting. My manager gets on the phone, he's like, walk away, Tony. He says, they're not trying to pay you well, da 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 all this type of stuff. I was like, oh, Uh-oh. okay, so I left. Right. Two weeks go by. I just bought the house. I was fixing it up. I needed to get a regular job. I call my managers. I'm like, can you make sure this deal is off the table? Mm -hmm. And he goes, I'll call them. He calls them. They're like, no, 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 it's not. They'll give you some more money. Come back in. I go back in. And that was history.
1: Wow. What a great story. (laughs) I love that. And so... Kind of random, but perfect, like Hollywood yeah, perfect. Like, you, absolutely. you know, who you know and where and where you are, right, you know, right place, right time.
0: I wasn't sure I wanted to do it because yeah. if you think about the terrain at the time of what talk shows were, right, it was Ricky Lake,
1: right. she was the top
0: of the air, but then it was like Maury Povich and all yeah. the fighting and yes. all that on TV and it yes. was daytime. I was like, how is that going to work? I don't yeah. know if I want to be that. I'm a thespian.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hers was kind of the first like feel good talk show in in a long. I don't think we really had that before. I mean, maybe Oprah, but Oprah had serious stuff too. You know, yeah. Um, So that completely makes sense. And I think as an actor, I I feel you. There's so so many jobs that come along that you're like, do I want to do this? How's this going to affect my acting career?
0: Kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: But for you, it was great. You got great exposure. People knew who you were. You, You know, you still get to act. Well, right? yeah, or was it a not great?
0: <laughs> no, it, it was great. It was yeah. great. I, yeah. I, was able to sort of, you know, get exposure, get to meet a ton of people. Yeah. But a lot of casting directors didn't know I was an actor.
1: Right, because then you are so. you're seen as a DJ. Yes, which is a catch twenty two that I've also dealt with, and I yes. totally get that. It's like unless you're out, is when I was blogging full time mm. for eight years, and that was where all my money was coming from, and it was super lucrative mm. and easy. But then no one knew I was an actor; everyone just thought. Absolutely. I was a blog. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I totally get that. So yeah. while you're while you're having this experience, are is there feeling is there a feeling of not being thespian enough, or like are you feeling like you're not doing what you want to do really?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I tried. I mean, I produced two movies that went to Sundance during oh, wow. that period of time. Yeah, I produced a movie and was in a movie called Restless City. Mm-hmm. And then I did one called Mother of George mm. with Andrew Dosumu, who's a guy I work with in L.A., in New York a lot, because I still had that New York thing, and that mm-hmm. New York pool. Um, mm-hmm. So I produced a couple of movies still trying to hold on to that. I did the small things here or there, but I couldn't do much.
1: And then what was uh, life like after Ellen? So what, do you, what did you... Um, <sighs> do after that and what brought you to where you are today
0: so I, I took a fall a big big fall when I left Ellen I thought I had it all set up
1: mm-hmm. I thought I had
0: enough sort of I guess you would call it chips in the game you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. and uh to use the phrase I used earlier I couldn't get arrested
1: mm. <laughs> which means he could not get a job for yes, our American I, couldn't get a job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I could not get a job um I ended up becoming a, first of all, people wouldn't hire me for regular jobs because they'd be like, aren't you the guy from Ellen? Mm -hmm. Oh, he's not going to stay. He's not going to stay. And then I ended up becoming a a wedding DJ. And there's nothing wrong with being a wedding DJ. It's good money if you get paid well. And you know but it just wasn't me but like you know hey now we're gonna call the bride and the groom to the dance floor and everybody here is gonna line up on the left and the line and she's (laughs) gonna toss the and nobody's got it okay now everybody (laughs) with me we're gonna do the macarena and if i hear sweet caroline one more time oh my god right because you can't just do what
1: you want to do you have to cater to what they want because obviously it's their wedding
0: (laughs) some people at weddings can be demanding
1: oh i bet i bet uh yeah Yeah. and how are you feeling during all this
0: how long I did was, that last, too? The sort of, for want of a better description, the dark period mm. was about two and a half years, mm. maybe three years. Yeah. I mean, a lot happened through there. Like, I, I had to sort of Airbnb my house and sleep on my friend's couches.
1: Mm. I
0: lost my dog. Um,
1: oh, I remember you know, seeing that on Instagram. Yeah. It was, so sad. It,
0: was, it was rough. Yeah. But it, it brought me to where I am today, and I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah. I, I say it as a tale to encourage people because I guess this is the analogy I use. It's one thing if you've never tasted filet mignon and mm-hmm. you've been eating skirt steak and you think skirt steak's the best thing. Mm-hmm. But even if you sniffed filet mignon, which I had, mm-hmm. and then I am now back to skewered beef or whatever it is. I, ironically, I don't eat meat, so I don't even know why I'm talking about beef. <laughs>
1: <laughs> good analogy, good no, analogy. Yeah. But I know what you mean. It's why there's like some kind of saying that like the the best way to hurt a rich person is to make them poor because because it's like once you if you're poor you're poor and then yes. one day you become rich and it's amazing but if yeah. you just stay poor that's all you know or if you get yes. to middle class that's all you know but if you're rich and then you lose that
0: mm-hmm.
1: oof, or if it's you're poor sad. and then you get rich and then you get poor again that that's oh, yeah. a lot harder you know that's a that's a struggle so i totally yeah. feel you and you know, in our line of work, in anything in entertainment, whether you're an actor, writer, director, produ- whatever, yes. there are ebbs and flows, there are highs Absolutely. and lows, and you have to mm. stick out or not. It's funny because I think sometimes people think of actors and they're like, oh, we're what happened to that person? And then they come back and they're <laughs> like, oh, they're making a comeback. And it's like, yeah. no, they wanted to work the whole time.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. But they ske- never went anywhere.
1: They never went anywhere. They're still here trying yeah. to get work. It's just hard to get work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that Ugh. was a tough one. I I was, I, I, Wasteland became my friend. I was selling all my clothes to pay bills and all mm. that type of stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was tough.
1: During the dark times, what was the biggest not blank for
0: you? Oh, my gosh. There was a ton of them. I think the most... Uh, it went from not talented enough, that's why I'm failing. Mm-hmm. Um, it went from not good-looking enough, that's why you're not getting the roles. Mm. It went from you're not smart enough, so you earned a bunch of money and now you have none.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it, it, every not enough was there. Yeah. You know, it was it was rough. Yeah. It was rough. But I always believed that I would come back in some capacity. Yeah. Never knew it would be a sitcom, but I thought I would come back. You know? <laughs> yeah. Let's
1: let's talk about that sitcom. Bob Hart's Abishola. Which my yes. friend Matt Jones is also on.
0: Yes. I we were talking about you the other day. Yeah, yes. so
1: that's that's I love when I see when I saw that show go and then Matt was on and I was like, Oh my god and then I saw that you're on. I'm like, Oh my god, it's so yeah. fun to see your friends be on a show. I, I,
0: I think Beth Monroe
1: yeah, Maribeth Monroe is the other one I know yeah, too. she
0: She's done some <laughs> stuff with Gumption, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And Gumshin yeah. is who produces this podcast. Yes. And so yes. Maribeth um, was one of the leads of a show that we produced as well. Yes. So it's yes. all in the she, family. She's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, it's all in the family. Um, yeah. But tell me how that, that came about.
0: So at the beginning of the year, I had just come out of the darker place, so to speak, because I'd sold my house, but it came back to me. It's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. And I'd just done a big AT&T commercial with Michelle Gondry, mm-hmm. and I was the lead in it, and mm-hmm. I'd never done, I mean, it was just like the blessings were flowing. Yeah. And I decided to take off for the first time uh, five weeks, and I went to New York, I rented an apartment, stayed in New York, and then I went around Europe and Africa for another six weeks. Oh, wow. And I get back, and they call me, and they're like, oh, we have this audition for you. And I go in, and I read, and then I get a call back, and they're like, okay, it's for five episodes. And I'm like, okay. And so we do the first three, me and my colleague on the show. And then they're like, okay, we're going to make you guys recurring.
1: Oh, amazing.
0: And we're doubling your uh, your salary. And I was like, okay, great. I mean, oh, my oh. God. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then I remember specifically we were doing a scene and I was standing upstairs and the camera was all placed and everything and my phone was in my back pocket and it rang and I put it to silent and it rang again and it kept ringing you know? oh, and I, boy. I was putting it off and then yeah. i finally they said cut you know we're going to take a five minute break to reset mm-hmm. and i look at my phone and it's my agent and i'm like oh shoot and he calls me and and i listen to his message he goes call me and it's i call it really
1: he, good or really bad
0: <laughs> exactly and what bearing where i was before uh-huh. my head was like oh shit! and he starts yeah. off like this he goes this happens sometimes on television, and it's nobody's fault other than probably the actor and the work he has done.
1: Oh, what a <laughs> jerk! I know <don't...
0: laughs> <laughs> he's like wording along those lines anyway. So and he's he's like, trying
1: to set you up.
0: Uh huh. He's like, they have decided to make you a series regular. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd lose your shit. Oh, my God. I'm not going to cry. I'm so
1: excited for you. That's just like I, the best I think thing I cried. ever heard. Yeah. 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 I think I cried.
0: We just were so elated and I fell down on my knees in my dressing room and I was praying oh. and it was just just What a beautiful a comeback. story. Yeah, I was the man. comeback kid.
1: And you're playing someone kind of like you? In the sense that, is he Nigerian, the character? He's Nigerian. You get to use your Nigerian accent. I'm Absolutely, assuming. I get yeah. to use my
0: Nigerian accent. But he's like me in some ways in as much as he's Nigerian and he's now in America. Mm-hmm. But he didn't come from the colonial triangle, <laughs> i.e. England, right. you know, that whole thing. So He came straight um, from Nigeria. Straight from Nigeria, yeah. yeah. And he had probably more hardships than I did. You know, hardships are relative, but he, you know, probably more hardships than I did. And he's a character who really wants to be Western, mm-hmm. but he's still stuck in his Nigerian ways. And he's totally. sort of this He wants to be cool and hip and young and everything. Yeah. He says things like, my accent is considered sexy and all that type of stuff. <laughs> but he's clueless in terms of how to do it. Right. So if you've what watched any fun... of the episodes, he falls in love. Well, he falls for Mary Beth's character, Christina. So, yeah, it's a lot what of
1: fun. What a fun um, character to play. Yeah, and... he's fun. First of all, what a great story, like all of it, because you do need those lows to appreciate the highs.
0: Oh my gosh, you're so right.
1: But also to have your, this is your first series regular, correct?
0: Yes, absolutely. To have
1: your first series regular be a Nigerian character, like how beautiful and perfect is that? Because they could have easily hired just any black man and had him put on like a fake accent, which they do all the time. Um, So it's so nice that you were able to get that part. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah. Chuck Lorre was really about authenticity. Mm -hmm. And Gina Yashire, who is a character on the show and one of the co-creators and one of the writers as well. Mm. She's always fighting for authenticity. I love that. And it seems to have uh, worked. You yeah. Know, people seem to really dig it so far. Yeah.
1: Out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chuck Lorre like, doesn't psh- seem to miss. So, like... <laughs> no. I'm just going to say... I think you're good. I think you're good. <laughs> I, I,
0: came out, I came out the gate with a winner there. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I'm
1: like... I'm. My friend Matt, too. I'm like, you lucky bastard. <laughs> yeah. Chuck really Lowry? likes Matt, too. I'm sure. I'm sure. He's yeah. great. I mean, Matt's so funny. So it, He's
0: it's, hilarious. It's perfect. Hilarious
1: all right so now today what we have tony today on a hit show like what is your blank now because you know even when you're successful and things are going great we still have those damn blanks and sometimes yes. those blanks are what like propel us to even more greatness you know absolutely what I mean? so yeah. what do you what do you got for today
0: i'm not disciplined enough what mm-hmm. do i mean by that mm-hmm. now the sun is shining and i need to make hay I need to capitalize on the opportunities. Oh, I'm not doing this. I should be doing this. I'm not doing this. I should. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You want to, especially coming from where you've come from of the struggles and the lack. Mm-hmm. You're like, I can't make those mistakes again, even though they might not have been mistakes. Right. So maybe I'm not disciplined enough. I'm not hardworking enough. I'm not pushing enough.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. you don't want to so... get comfortable. Yes. Yeah. So that's constantly in your ear just going, You are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you reading? Are you writing? I mm-hmm. think I spoke to you the other day about script writing, remember? And you recommended yeah. a book or two. Yeah. You know, am I, am, I, am, I, am I doing enough? Am yeah. I capitalizing on this opportunity?
1: Uh-huh. I know. like not disciplined enough. That's great because I can totally relate to that. I, I'm i uh, the same way. I feel like I'm never doing enough, even when I'm doing a million things.
0: And you do do a million things. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. of all people do a million I, I, I do. things.
1: I do. I do think... I do think that is part of the immigrant experience and being first generation and all these and coming from the families we come from. I do think there is this drive that we have that people who've been here for generations might not, not necessarily have where it is this feeling of like, we got to work. Like, we got to work. <laughs> we got to keep working. We got to keep growing. We got to keep, you know,
0: yes, one up in the yeah. last
1: thing we did. And
0: absolutely, I don't
1: think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, as long as you're not like workaholic crazy about it.
0: I mean, I'm very blessed to have that kind of mentality. Plus, I also have some financial commitments with my family back Mm -hmm. in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've got to work. Yeah. You know, and I've got to capitalize on the things, the opportunities I've been given Yeah. so that I can create wealth that will be there for a while and not have to fall again.
1: Well, I think that's a great way to end, man. Uh, This was so fun. I got to know so much more about you. I feel like I've known you... (laughs) You know, the friends that you see every once in a while, you're like, hey, how are you? We catch up for like a few seconds. But, and and that's been going on for years. I mean, I think I I met you like 12 or 13 years ago, but to get your real like deal story, I was excited about this and and it was really fun to get to know your story better.
0: Well, thanks for for thinking of me and inviting me to do this.
1: Well, congratulations again on the show. Thank you so
0: much. I really appreciate you and um, thanks for having me.
1: Everyone watch Bob Hart's Abashola. CBS Monday nights. Check your local listing for the time. Eight thirty. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Eight thirty
0: PST. But you're right. Check your local listing.
1: Check your listing. Thank you, Tony.
0: Thank you, Gracie. Have a good one.
1: Thank you for listening to Not Blank Enough with me, Gracie Mercedes. You can find out more about today's guest in the show notes. Please subscribe to Not Blank Enough wherever you get your podcast, and follow us on Instagram at Not Blank Enough Pod. Also, if you like what you hear, please consider a rate and review. Our show today was executive produced by Gracie Mercedes and Dave Hill and produced by Douglas Sarine and Colleen Beasley. Not Blank Enough is a Gumption Pictures production.